Tonight, a man's racist, sexist rant caught on camera and why he's now been arrested. Plus, a former minor hockey coach in Metro Vancouver is charged with child pornography offenses and... It's great when people get on board to help when they know that we can send some people to do it. Local firefighters head to Dorian devastated Bahamas to help, while more than 200,000 are now without power as the storm strikes Nova Scotia. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. A 45-year-old man faces numerous charges tonight, accused of physically and verbally assaulting strangers in Burnaby. It's believed the racist, sexist tirade began on board a transit bus. And as Kristen Robinson reports, some of that was captured on camera. It's only white girl, white man. As soon as I got on the bus, I could tell that there was a man screaming and shouting. Scarlett McPherson's first trip to SFU began with a racist ride. Thursday afternoon, a man verbally berating women on the bus. One or two stops later, I noticed it was very racist and vile comments and sexist as well. You should probably like marry like Jenny Ching or Jenny Kwan or Richie Kwok, math pro. Most of the language so obscene we won't be repeating it, but McPherson recorded it all on her cell phone. I don't like your eyes. Actually, I believe you. Plus, you're fat. So bad that a few group, a few women had to get off the bus, and no one wanted to look at him. Everyone was looking at each other, absolutely incredulous as to this was happening in public. The SFU student reported the incident to RCMP. The suspect, 45-year-old Raul Miguel Rubio Alabao, already in custody. Arrested after allegedly racially abusing and attacking someone near Parker Street and Alpha Avenue in Burnaby, later the same day. No one should have to deal with this, not in public and not in private. Rubio Alabao charged with assault, mischief and uttering threats. McPherson hoping others will learn from what she experienced on her inaugural day of university. I've always just been taught that if you can capture something that's going wrong and that it can perhaps teach people later down the line what's not acceptable. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A former hockey coach who worked at the Burnaby Winter Club last year is facing child pornography charges. His identity has not yet been released, but as Nadia Stewart reports, club officials are now trying to reassure parents ahead of a members meeting tomorrow. No one from the Burnaby Winter Club is commenting on camera today, but in an email to parents and members, they say the news is shocking and scary. The Port Moody Police Department contacted the club earlier this week. Investigators informed club management one of their coaches from last year has been charged with possession of child pornography, telecommunication to lure a child under 16, and importing or distributing child pornography. Because of concerns over a publication ban, they are not releasing the name of the coach, but say they are working with legal counsel to ensure more facts from the police and the court registry about whether the charges relate in any way to events at the club. A police investigation is underway and the club says it's reviewing its own policies and procedures. They say the accused was subject to a criminal record check prior to being admitted to the coaching team. For parents, more answers might be forthcoming tomorrow. That's when the club will be holding an information session at 3 o'clock. Port Moody Police will also be attending. Nadia Stirk, Global News. 
to the major story that's now landed on our east coast. Hurricane Dorian has slammed into Nova Scotia and New Brunswick the fifth time the storm has made landfall. Powerful winds from Dorian have already caused a crane to collapse in Halifax. The storm has been downgraded, but has caused a lot of damage, as you can see, and left thousands of people without power. As Jesse Thomas reports, the Canadian Armed Forces is now standing by for recovery. Heavy wind gusts and torrential rain hammered Halifax early Saturday afternoon as the storm intensified. Uprooted and broken trees littered streets across the peninsula, damaging parked cars and blocking streets. What a uh, thing here going on here. It's going to be a busy day for you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, very, very, yeah, so uh, anyway, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Another reason to stay indoors, loose items from construction sites. Police closed this street after four by six sheets of plywood were sent sailing down the street. Emergency management officials say those airborne items pose a great danger to the public and we're asking contractors to clean up any loose materials. We've been getting complaints today and notifications about uh, lumber material left unattended, construction sites unsecured. So those are a big concern right now. We've been working with our policing partners all morning trying to identify companies and reaching out to them. Late in the afternoon, a construction crane collapsed onto an unfinished building downtown, a clear example of the danger with this kind of wind. Heavy wind gusts even tore a large chunk of roof off a 50-unit apartment building. Halifax Fire was on scene to help evacuate the tenants, while City Transit were taking those stranded to an evacuation centre being run by the Red Cross. Volunteers across Nova Scotia and the rest of Atlantic Canada are on standby to respond, and we will uh, support communities that are impacted by this disaster. By mid-afternoon, high tides saw strong storm surges pounding the Halifax Harbor and rocking ships at the dock. The damage is building up even before the hurricane makes landfall. Jesse Thomas, Global News, Halifax. And global meteorologist Anthony Farnell is in the middle of that storm. Anthony, what's the situation like now? Well, it has been a crazy day, as Jesse mentioned. We had the winds coming in from the ocean earlier. The eye made its way right over Halifax at landfall earlier this evening. And now that storm's racing away, and we're seeing the wind direction completely change. Still some gusts over 100 kilometers per hour. And these winds have really done a number on trees across the province, but particularly in this part of Halifax because of the old growth still got full foliage if it was later in the fall and maybe the leaves had come down you wouldn't see this type of tree damage but not just snapping branches but entire trees that have been uplifted out of the ground and this is block after block after block throughout this city a lot of those trees falling on power lines and i think that is going to be the big story going forward for the next couple of days once the winds subside there's over a half million people now across New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, and soon-to-be Newfoundland that are going to need their power restored. And that is going to be a process that doesn't take hours, but rather days. And that is the big concern once these winds subside. And that may not be until Sunday morning for parts of Nova Scotia. All right, Anthony, thank you so much. 
Of course, Dorian has already left behind a path of devastation in the Bahamas, killing at least 43 people. Before and after satellite images show the extent of the damage caused by a storm surge and winds of nearly 300 kilometers an hour. Now some British Columbians who risked their lives here are on their way there as part of the relief effort. Jill Bennett has that part of the story. All these batteries have to go carry on. We got about 40 of them, they're fully charged. A team of local firefighters is once again preparing to head into a disaster zone to help in any way they can. What we're seeing on the media, since we haven't been there yet, is the houses are pretty well flattened because of category five winds. There are four dogs on the team of 13 heading to the Bahamas. Sam and Hunter, along with their handlers, will be instrumental in searching areas devastated by Hurricane Dorian, something they also did in Nepal in 2015. If there was any scent at all that the dogs detected, live or dead, then we decided to put in the uh, basic search cams, which are long poles with a camera on the end and a microphone. It's grueling and stressful work for both the canines and the humans. Time is crucial, which is why the team started organizing flights as soon as they were given the green light to go. We're getting on top of it and we're getting a quick uh, deployment out of this to the Bahamas. So I do believe that there's a great opportunity to, to find live people uh, just still trapped in their, in their homes. Milwaukee Tools is a big supporter of ours. When we went to Nepal, they showed up at the airport in Hong Kong on our, on our way to Kathmandu and dropped off $10,000 worth of tools to us. Most of the tools the team is taking have been donated. Both Cathay Pacific and JetBlue Airlines are relaxing luggage restrictions as well the dogs get to fly in the cabin. Our members pay for their own flights, they take their own time off work, they get their shifts covered so we can pick up and go whenever we want. The team will be on the ground for a week. They'll leave behind things such as generators and tools that are needed in the Bahamas. With the death toll from the hurricane expected to rise during the next few days, when members return, they will be offered any support they need to deal with what will be a difficult deployment. Jill Bennett, Global News. Fallout tonight over a horrendous accident last weekend near Kelowna. As Jules Knox reports, there are concerns the response times to crashes involving animals are far too slow, leaving them to suffer far too long. And a warning, this story might be disturbing to some of you. I'd wake up, wake up in the middle of the night thinking this poor horse did not have to suffer. Jeff Schultz happened to be one of the first people at the scene after a horse trailer toppled over in a horrendous crash in the Joe Rich area near Kelowna last Saturday. One horse was fine, but the other wasn't so lucky. Severed his back leg. Was, you could see the bone was coming through the skin, everything, blood everywhere, and we couldn't do nothing. He laid there. Schultz says while the crash itself was horrific enough, it was also an agonizing wait for the vet, who had to come from Lake Country as police couldn't do anything for the horse. Did he try to get up? Animal advocate Andrea Peters wants to see first responders given the tools they need to deal with these types of situations. First responders came and the, even the ambulance driver was horribly upset and she was crying in her ambulance knowing there's nothing she could do. So if we can give the tools to the people that can use them, then we would alleviate a lot of suffering. Lori Tackoff is with the Animal Lifeline Emergency Rescue Team. She was immediately called to the crash and sedated the horse as they waited for the vet. She says that while RCMP have direction on how to handle livestock and domestic animals, it's not so clear with horses. It is something that the community in, Joe, in Kelowna, Joe Rich, RDCO, we're all recognizing that we need to make a plan 
uh, for our community, for our animals. The plan should look like our uh, first responders are trained in how to deal with these types of situations, who to call in if they need help for backup. A life has to matter. It has to matter as much. There has to be the urgency behind it and there can't be, a, there can never ever be an attitude of it's just an animal because that's just not acceptable. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A Vancouver man has been sentenced in connection with an illegal gaming raid on a multi-million dollar home earlier this year. 51-year-old Russell Lim pleaded guilty Friday to keeping a gaming or betting house. He was handed a one-day sentence in jail and 18 months probation. In February, this nearly $4 million Shaughnessy home was raided by police during an illegal gaming probe. At the time, Lim told Global News he was just playing cards with buddies. Lim was also sentenced to 18 months probation for the same offense a year earlier when an illegal gaming house called Seven House was raided on East Hastings near Clark. As the opioid crisis continues to take its toll, overcoming addiction took center stage in New Westminster today. The 8th annual Recovery Day celebration on 6th Street featured live music, health and wellness booths and a memorial tent. The event originally began in front of the Vancouver Art Gallery, but has since grown to become Canada's largest addiction and mental health recovery festival. Recovery Day aims to end the stigma surrounding addiction and raise awareness about the power of healing. Addiction happens in isolation, and we need connection. And when we come and connect as a community and we bring out those people who are in recovery and those people who can support people in recovery, with compassion and no judgment. I think it helps and gives others hope to come out and get treatment. It's not often a newspaper's rank and file journalists openly criticize their own publication, but that's exactly what happened at the Vancouver Sun today. BC's paper of record has published an op-ed that denounces inclusion, tolerance and diversity. Global's Paul Johnson has more on the controversial essay and the newsroom revolt. Well, every newspaper editor hopes their opinion pages trigger some kind of a reaction. A chorus of online rebukes from their own newsroom is probably not what Vancouver Sun editors were hoping for. Check out these tweets from well-known Sun reporters like Kim Bolin. If I knew this was being published, I would have said something. Vaughn Palmer calls the piece dead wrong. And Rob Shaw bluntly tweeted, what a complete pile of absolute garbage that op-ed is. The article was written by Mark Hecht, an instructor in human geography at Calgary's Mount Royal University. It examines the challenges different countries face in absorbing and assimilating immigrants. Hardly a first, but some of the ideas likely quite unsettling for people in a diverse city like Vancouver. Here are some highlights. Diversity is a weakness as far as the economy is concerned, Hecht writes. He asks, is it possible for a country to have diversity and social trust at the same time? And suggests this, the minimum requirement is that we say goodbye to diversity, tolerance and inclusion if we wish to be a society that can rebuild the trust we used to have in one another. It's a blow for the paper in general and I hate to see it. Veteran reporter Frances Beulah worked at the Vancouver Sun for more than 20 years and stands with her former colleagues there. We are seeing more and more articles that have been in this 
same kind of vein. Immigrants are a problem. Uh, Canada should reconsider its policies on immigration. By Saturday, The Sun's top editor, Harold Monroe, apologized, said he hadn't read it before it was published, and ordered the online version of the article taken down. But those print copies are now a permanent part of the paper's history, as is this weekend's unprecedented newsroom revolt. Paul Johnson, Global News. A nearly 30-year-old missing persons case in B.C. has been solved in a rather unusual way. A 13-year-old boy from Alberta and his GoPro helped bring some answers and closure to the family of a Vancouver Island woman who's been missing for so long. Global Sarah Comadina has more. Max Rinka has been to Griffin Lake near Revelstoke, B.C. hundreds of times. He loves nature and often captures experiences with his GoPro. But the 13-year-old never expected this would lead him to help solve a missing persons case. It was meant to happen. This was a whole string of coincidental events. First, something shiny was noticed underwater by another family. Max used a GoPro and spotted a car. That's when his family notified RCMP. But when police came, the water was too murky to see anything. So Max offered to help. I recommended I had a GoPro so we could um, film underneath the water. They could get a better look at it so it could help them in any way. So I went, swam around, dove down and took a video of everything to show them. Where this was located was maybe 10 feet offshore and only in about 20 feet of water, so it was very, very close to shore. RCMP pulled the car out and learned it belonged to 69-year-old Janet Ferris of Mill Bay, B.C., missing since 1992. She was on her way to a wedding in Alberta. Two weeks later, we received a phone call from that family in Alberta asking why she never came to the wedding. So she had actually been um, missing for two weeks with nobody knowing. Erin Ferris Hartley was just 12 when her grandma disappeared. She remembers her being warm, loved to garden. She was funny. This is a, a happy story in the end, uh, knowing, knowing where her final resting place is and also knowing that it really was just an accident. It's a whirlwind of emotion. Max had no idea the impact he and his GoPro had that day. Now a family has answers. They can properly say goodbye to their mom and grandma 27 years later. They have given us a lot of peace. My, my dad and my uncle and our whole family are so thankful to him. Sarah Comedina, Global News. Hmm. A creative experience designed for dogs and their humans returned to Coquitlam today. There we go, go get the cheese. <laughs> Picasso, yes, a play on Picasso, backed by popular demand in the gardens at Place des Arts. Dog owners and their best friends working together to create masterpieces. The canines are encouraged to put their best feet or paws forward uh, with a paw painting technique, which uses non-toxic paints. Their humans put the uh, finishing touches on by adding brush strokes to the one-of-a-kind personalized paw print works. Really what we're trying to do is make art inviting and not intimidating uh, for, for the public who might not consider themselves artists. It was pretty good. She did. Had a little bit challenged with her earlier, but she did fantastic. Well, he's an abstract expressionist, so this one, we, ca we call this one Greyhound Storm. <laughs> Last year, he made a Greyhound Vortex. 
Oh, that is so cute. Okay, two black bears tried their luck on the links in Pitt Meadows last week. The pair playing a round, or is it they're playing a round on the green at the Golden Eagles course. Andrew Mott shot the whole thing, keeping his calm as the bears got pretty close to his ball. Unfortunately, they were not able to help his average. More now on one of our top stories tonight. Dorian, now hitting Nova Scotia, has been downgraded, but was a Category 5 hurricane when it destroyed parts of the Bahamas. Global's Mike Drolet is on Abaco Island in one of the worst-hit neighborhoods, telling us why it may be impossible to rebuild there. Abaco Island is considered one of the more beautiful islands within the whole Bahamas chain. We're in Marsh Harbor and specifically in a community called Mudtown. This is where the Haitian community lived. And they built these homes by hand. They were built close together. The quality wasn't great. And when this storm hit, 15 to 20 foot storm surge just wiped them out. As you can see, these containers in the distance, they weren't there. They were about a kilometer over there. The house that was here is actually about 300 meters that way. Um, rebuilding here is going to be next to impossible. So what do they do? Well, we found a lot of them a couple of kilometers up the road in the government houses, and they don't know where they're gonna go. They have no idea. The UN is trying to figure out a migration plan. The local governments are trying to figure out a migration plan. Staying here isn't an option. The scope of this tragedy just got a lot bigger. Mike Drolet in Marsh Harbor, the Bahamas. In South Korea, at least three people have been killed by a powerful typhoon. The storm is now hitting North Korea. Typhoon Lingling toppled hundreds of trees and power lines, knocking out electricity to more than 15,000 homes. The storm is reeking as weakening rather as it passes over North Korea, but is still packing winds of up to 115 kilometers an hour, and there are reports of flooding. Seven Amazonian countries have signed a pact to protect the world's largest tropical forest through disaster response coordination and satellite monitoring. It comes as fires continue to decimate thousands of square miles of the jungle. And the countries will create a natural disaster network so they can better cooperate in the face of events like large-scale fires. Brazil has been making some progress in fighting the forest fires raging through the Amazon rainforest for more than 10 days now. The country's military says more than 1,200 soldiers are on the front lines. A reporter and a cameraman found out what can happen in the front lines of fighting a forest fire while covering the wildfires in California. And she's among the evacuees who packed up her car with her dog, paintings done by her kids, and all of the computers as we come back live. Let's come back live right now. <laughs> We're coming back live because we just got hit by the fire retardant. And this is what happens apparently when you're on the front lines. I'm going to do this right here for you. The Los Angeles TV reporter was live on the air when a plane dropping fire retardant flew overhead. The television crew and firefighters on the ground were doused with that pink gel. A little bit of insight as hundreds have been forced from their homes due to the wildfire. Lightning strike, a lightning strike likely the cause. Russia and Ukraine carried out a much-anticipated prisoner exchange today. Two planes, each carrying 35 prisoners, landed almost simultaneously in Moscow and Kiev. It's hoped the swap will help thaw a deep freeze in relations since Moscow annexed Crimea in 2014. The conflict has left more than 13,000 people dead. 
UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he would rather, quote, rather be dead in a ditch than delay Brexit any further. Johnson struggled earlier this week to keep his Brexit at any cost plan on track and, in an ironic twist, accused lawmakers of thwarting democracy by blocking his call for a new election. A vote will be held Monday on new, a new motion calling for an election in October. India's prime minister says Dr. he has full confidence in the country's space program after Dr. its spacecraft lost touch with mission control minutes before it was expected to land on the moon. The mission was intended to study moon craters that could contain water deposits. In Health Matters tonight, doctors are warning about one of the lasting consequences of not vaccinating your child against the measles. Researchers at Harvard University say children who contract measles have a higher risk of getting other severe infectious diseases within five years. They were also more likely to visit their doctor and need antibiotics. The disease appears to target the memory cells of the immune system, wiping out the benefits of other vaccinations they have had, such as diphtheria or meningitis. Researchers say vaccinating, revaccinating children against the disease is advised. An historic day for Canada, women's tennis, and an athlete who is inspiring a whole new generation. We're going to have that for you right after we get the forecast with Yvonne. And Yvonne, oh my goodness, have things changed? Yeah, we were glued to the screen uh, for that tennis match, and we'll have more on oh, that. Oh, you're talking about tennis. I'm well, talking about the weather. I was. A few <laughs> things have changed. I was too busy thinking about the tennis. Uh, we're going to get to your local forecast in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a quick update on what we're tracking for post-tropical cyclone Dorian. It made landfall just southwest of Halifax this evening, a local time. It'll continue to track right across the maritime provinces. Now, the concern will be the hurricane force winds of upwards of 100 kilometers per hour, so we could see them at gusts of up to 130 kilometers per hour. The rainfall this morning measuring already 100 millimeters. There's an additional 50 to 100 for most areas. And the waves, the storm surge 10 to 15 meters. So we will continue to track this as it moves its way through Atlantic Canada, and that'll be all the way in towards Sunday before we start to see a bit of a break. Weather picture here at home. Yes, things have changed depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver. We've got a few breaks out there. Temperatures have been cooler significantly in comparison to what we're seeing over the past week. We're sitting at 19 degrees, a southwesterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Highs today up to 20 out of the airport, 18 for Victoria. It was still a warm one for the southern interior with the Soyuz up to 29 and areas near the peace today topping out at 13. We have some instability. We've got a severe thunderstorm warning that is in effect. South Thompson and the Nicola included within that line of storms passing through. We've got intense rain, very gusty winds, the potential for some hail. And just to the east, this overnight and towards the morning, we still have the risk of thunderstorms and Metro Vancouver will be included within that. Across the central interior, a few thunderstorms passing through and we still will have some instability in towards tomorrow. So future cast into play for your Sunday morning. We've got that instability, a chance of showers. There may be a few breaks in there. And then as we look ahead towards Monday, still an unsettled day. It'll be on Tuesday that we'll start to see a few breaks. Temperatures will be cool, though, Sunday, Monday, some of the cooler days for the southern half of the province. The peace for Sunday, a northeasterly wind up to 30 
10 and up to 20 millimeters of rainfall and cooling off. Monday, a high of 10 degrees. The average is typically 16. White horse dry and sunny over the next three days. Most areas along the north coast, it's a chance of showers. Inland, we'll be looking at rainfall for both Sunday, Monday, sunshine and dry conditions for Tuesday. Caribou and central interior seeing the risk of thunderstorms this evening. We're tracking that cell or a line working its way in. The Columbia and Kootenai will see a chance of showers through the day tomorrow. Highs up to 24. Thompson, Okanagan, a drop in temperatures only into the low 20s. Monday at 17 with on and off rainfall. And areas near Whistler will see cooler temperatures, showers over the next three days. Areas along the island will be seeing for the northern and western half. Southern and eastern spots will see most of that moisture moving in by the evening hours. Our five-day forecast. So we still have the risk of thunderstorms this evening and overnight, especially for eastern areas and stretching into the Fraser Valley. Tomorrow, 20 degrees on and off showers. It remains unsettled over the next two days. Hoping to see a few breaks in the cloud will be on our Tuesday, Wednesday, but things have changed much cooler and showery over the next few. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. She is the first Canadian ever to make it to the singles finals of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. This afternoon, Mississauga's Bianca Andreescu was victorious at Center Court in Queens, New York, competing for the big prize against legendary player Serena Williams. Morgan Campbell reports on how Bianca is a success regardless of how she finished today. Canadians are known as some of the friendliest and most supportive people across the globe. So naturally, when one of our own is competing on the world stage, we bust out our very best red and white. I'm proud to be a Canadian and we have a Canadian girl that is amazing. Tennis lovers gathered at viewing parties across Toronto to see the 19-year-old from Mississauga take on Serena Williams in the finals of the U.S. Open. She's got an all-court game. She can do a little bit of everything. And We have over 350 kids playing tennis here. They step out onto the court thinking that I might be the next Bianca. Um, and that's for the young girls. And the young boys are thinking I might be the next Milos or Dennis or Felix. Andrescu has brought Canadians together through sport. Morgan Campbell, Global News. We were glued to our TVs watching her win. It was so great. Yeah, I think the, the amazing thing about Canada is when we have someone like this, a golfer or a tennis player or someone who's kind of representing the country, we yeah. all rally behind and, and they feel it. I think the Raptors felt it when they won and I think Bianca has. She's, she's so incredibly good anyway, but it's just an extra kind of uh, you know nugget for these for these players to, to feel and it. it's, it's totally. different because in the in the US they have so many players and yeah. a lot of these countries it is uh, something very uh, specially and uniquely Canadian and it's so great it's like one of the greatest moments literally in our in our country's sporting history and she got more to come yeah she was trending she the north she was trending. She the north. <laughs> she's trended more than any athlete in the country I just read that oh wow anyone Connor McDavid all those top guys wow. she's the most this year looking forward mm -hmm. to hearing more from you. Okay, Barry, before we get to some very important sports mm -hmm. tonight, you got to see this. This is important too. People <laughs> in Nevada made their way to the races on Friday to watch a unique set of animals compete. Camels, ostriches, even zebras racing this weekend in Virginia for the 60th annual competition. Jockeys try to hold on tight as they race the track. Organizers say the race started back in the 1950s, not this particular one, when a newspaper published a phony story about camels running through Virginia City. Okay, we just had to get that in. They, they want, the people want them to fall off. People right? want them to fall off. It's funny falling off a camel <laughs> unless it's you. Exactly. Wear a helmet. Right. Speaking of getting over the hump. 
uh, Bianca. Nice. Doing the job for Canada. Thanks so much, uh, Colleen. Uh, she the North, now she the champ. Bianca Andrescu has Canadians celebrating an historic victory at the U.S. Open today as Andrescu becomes the first Canadian to ever win a singles Grand Slam title. But if you followed Bianca, she doesn't just win. She does it with panache and style. And all she did was take down the greatest of them all, Serena Williams, with an incredible display of power and moxie and perseverance when things got a little tight in the second set. Arthur Ashe Stadium jammed 23,000 fans, including Serena's good friend, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle. Bianca, meanwhile, in her own world. She knew the crowd was certainly on Serena's side, but she got an early break when Serena double faulted in the first game, and then Andrescu came out firing. She loves the big stage. A lot of players kind of get nervous, not Bianca. Winner there led 4-2, and then fires another forehand. She can hit as good or better than Serena, which has never happened in the history of tennis, but gives Serena credit. She's 37, you know, she won her first U.S. Open title in 1999 before Bianca was born. Kept wow. slugging it out, Serena stays close, 4-3, but Bianca kept the pedal down, big serve, bigger forehand. She led 5-3, and she also punished Serena's second serve. Huge return, sets up the winner, and Bianca takes the first set, 6-3. Serena's serve is her weapon, and she had a lot of trouble all day long. Second set, up a break already, and Serena unraveling. Look at that kind of awkward shot where she waited. And look at Serena's body language, looking very defeated down 4-1. Bianca actually was up 5-1 with a match point, but couldn't close it out. And then Serena stepped it up, wins this fantastic point. She reeled off four straight games, and the crowd was going wild. It was so definitely loud that Bianca actually plugs her ears. She couldn't hear herself, but Bianca is so gutsy, so resilient, and right on cue. She responds, hammers the ace, held serve to stop the bleeding and led 6-5. Those are her parents. Now, pressure on Serena to hold. Bianca went to work. Take that big return winner. And that sets up the third match point. It was third time lucky as she will spank yet another winner. And Bianca does it. She is the U.S. Open champion, first Canadian ever to do it. First person born in the 2000s, man or woman, to win a Grand Slam. You see the respect from Serena. And Bianca rises to number five in the world rankings, although she's really the best player right now. And she also won 3.85 million U.S. dollars to bring her earnings to over six million this year. What a day for her and Canada in New York. It's so hard to explain in words, but I'm just beyond grateful and truly blessed. I've worked really, really hard for this moment. I'm, I can't complain. This year has been a dream come true. And now being able to play on this stage against Serena, a true legend of this sport, is amazing. I know you guys wanted Serena to win, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> If anyone could win this tournament outside of Venus, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy it's Bianca. <laughs> well, going with from everything that's great about sports to this, NFL bad boy Antonio Brown was released by the Raiders today after a tumultuous 48 hours where he was suspended, then reinstated, 
fined by the team, and then Brown asked for his release, and it was granted. His contract, which had 29 million guaranteed dollars, is now void, and he became a free agent. Antonio Brown is everything that's wrong with pro sports. He's a greedy punk, but as we know in the NFL, you can act that way and always have a job if you're a great talent like Brown. So he'll get another chance, or two, or three, and... Right on cue, he has signed with the Patriots as of an hour ago, but it's for one year, $9 million guaranteed with the potential to earn $15 million. That's a lot less than he got in Oakland. The Lions lost yet again last night in Montreal, but they played a pretty good football game. Much better work from the offensive line. The protection and running game was much stronger. The team did not implode like they have all year, but they just didn't score touchdowns when they had the uh, chance in the red zone. It was close, but not good enough. A 21-16 loss. Lions playing solid into the fourth quarter, down just a point, but... The Alouettes with a key drive here, finished by this Vernon Adams Jr. touchdown pass to Quan Bray. So it's 21-13 Montreal. The Lions got a field goal to make it 21-16. They had one last chance. It was a long shot, and Riley got sacked. They're now a CFL worst 1-10. Some positives, but another loss. The seventh straight loss for the BC Lions last night in Montreal. CFL today, a triple header. We'll start in Edmonton, Stampeders and Eskimos. Second quarter, 7-3-S, but Bo Levi Mitchell to Reggie Bagleton. Nice grab in the corner of the end zone. Gets one foot down, that's all you need in the CFL. Touchdown, Stampeders, 10-7 Calgary. And then later, Mitchell will find Eric Rogers for the 11-yard touchdown strike. And Calgary looks like they're going to sweep the two-game series against Edmonton. Last check, it was 26-10 for the Stampeders, and they are midway through the fourth. The Banjo Bowl from Winnipeg. Rough Riders and Blue Bombers, Saskatchewan on a six-game win streak, but that would come to a crashing halt today. Second quarter, already 14-3 Winnipeg. A Janarian Grant fields the punt, takes off, breaks a tackle, takes off all the way. 72-yard return for the touchdown, and the Bomber fans are loving it. They had a lot of reason to celebrate. Quarterback Chris Grebler, great fake, and he finds Johnny Augustine open downfield. Augustine also takes it in for the touchdown. Bombers win 35-10. They're first in the West at 9-3. Riders are second at 7-4. Argos Red Blacks, Ottawa scuffling his loss 7-8, and it didn't go any better today. The 1-9 Argos came into Ottawa and blew the Red Blacks out. James Wilder Jr. had three touchdowns, including two touchdown catches. Argos thumped them 46-17. Toronto just two points back of Ottawa for third in the East. And college football, ooh, tough one for SFU. They knew it would be tough taking on Division I. Portland State on the road. As expected, they got blown out. It was 7-7 after one, but then the home team went off. SFU's home opener is September 21st. Well, kids may be bummed because they have to go back to school, but we prefer to concentrate more on the giddy joy parents have that their kids are, in fact, returning to school. Kind of like the feeling you get when you find out Chanel is back for another season of sizing up each and every Seahawks game in a little segment we call The Red Zone. After a surprising trip to the playoffs last season, the Seahawks are poised once again to make another run this year. Now, Seattle underwent some big changes with some popular names moving on. But the Hawks did land one of the NFL's premier defensive players, a move that could help elevate this team to the next level in 2019. 
In Jadavian Clowney, the Hawks now have a defender capable of stuffing the run and terrorizing the quarterback. 24 and a half sacks since 2016, including nine last season. His 53 tackles for loss over the last three years ranks him third in the NFL over that stretch. Now the former top pick should make this defense that much more fierce. The highest paid player in the league in 2019 will also be the most important for Seattle. Russell Wilson threw for a career high 35 touchdowns last season to just seven interceptions. But with his main target, Doug Baldwin, retiring, the receiving core isn't as strong. Now, if he is well protected and efficient, Seattle will go as far as Wilson takes them. Frank Clark and Earl Thomas are gone, but the Hawks did add some new faces. The pass rush was considered the greatest weakness. Clowney will help change that. As for the secondary, still unproven. Now, Seattle did add through the draft to address a unit that was ranked 15th in total defense last season. Pete Carroll went old school last year, returning to the run game, number one in the NFL in 2018. Now, Carroll's plan this season Use the ground attack to control the clock and keep his defense on the sidelines well rested. With a tough NFC conference, you'd figure it would take a record of at least 10 and 6 to get into the postseason, something this club is capable of achieving if everything goes the Seahawks' way. Nice start for Victoria Shamrocks in the Man Cup last night, winning the opener 13-6, game two tonight in Victoria. And Basketball World Cup in China, classification round, Canada thumped Jordan by 55. Kyle Wilcher had seven three-pointers as he had 29 points. Canada trying to secure a spot in next summer's second chance Olympic qualifying tournament. It looks like they'll get there. Okay. If they beat Germany in their final game Monday, they will get a bit of a better draw in the tournament they do get to. But hopefully their NBA guys will show up next summer because oh. they have a chance to do to get to the Olympics if, if the right guys show up. Wouldn't that be great? It would be nice. That'd be really nice. Thanks so much, Barry. Parade of Stars continues in Toronto as the Toronto International Film Festival enters its first weekend. Tonight, the red carpet gala was held for the new Fred Rogers biopic, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. But ahead of that, the film's star, Academy Award winner Tom Hanks, made a special visit to a local coffee shop. Last night after our shop had closed, um, there was a knock on the door and it was uh, Tom Hanks coming to visit us. That is so cool. Hanks popped into Grinders Coffee last night. The owner of the Toronto shop had mounted a pre-tiff social media campaign to lure Hanks into the coffee shop and for a coffee, and it worked for both of them. Well, we've been asking him online for, for our 10-day uh, Knees Grinder campaign, so actually we were very, very surprised that it actually worked, but we had been begging for about 10 days. Basically, I was I was standing pretty much right here cleaning up because the shop had been closed and there was a knock on the door and I look over and I see this guy standing there and he's pointing to himself and he's pointing at the picture of Tom and he's kind of doing this and I'm like, okay, great. It's another person that wants to come in and take a selfie. So I'm like, okay. So I grab the keys, walk over and as I got to about, about four or five feet, I went, oh my God, it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> isn't that cool? Of course, this isn't the first time that Grinders Coffee has been able to lure a TIFF celebrity into the shop. Last year, Canadian actor Ryan Gosling popped in for a cuppa after a similar social media campaign. Smart move on their part, hey? Tom Hanks is great. He does, he likes doing that sort of thing. Yeah. He goes to the, the people. Very, always been like one of the more likable superstars in Hollywood. Isn't great it? reputation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our weather forecast is... Yeah. It's 
transitioning. Another day tomorrow, unsettled. Not as likable. But right not now, as likable. Not as likable as Tom Hanks. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you guys.